0: WMQA! Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we got another Dan and Matt special coming at you. We talk a little about Spider Man Far From Home, and uh, I'm going to hit you with that spoiler warning now because we do get into it, post-credit scenes and all. Uh, then, because Matt's been watching the new season of Young Justice on DC Universe, we talk about our favorite animated comics adaptations of all time. There are some classics, some unexpected picks, and some picks from you all out there in internet land. Uh, meanwhile, what is going on over at WMQComics.com? We are still neck deep in our month-long Age of X-Men series, where people are writing in to tell us about their favorite eras of X-Men. Uh, we were a piece over the weekend by Charlie Davis on the Fabian Nicieza-written X-Comics of the 90s, which, and I quote, uh, explored broken teens with trauma with subtlety and nuance uh, we've also got a piece up from Matt Lazowitz on the schism era and we'll have another one up later this week from Chris Edelman on the Bendis era that immediately followed it uh, if you want to join in on the fun to feel your particular era is being left out let us know at wmqgrams at gmail.com but for now here are me and Matt alright Matt so uh, it's been it's been a weekend you've seen it I've seen it. Uh, What are your initial thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home? My initial thoughts on Far From
1: Home are pretty much universally positive. Uh, Last weekend, or the weekend before Far From Home, Mm -hmm. I sat down and watched Homecoming Again uh, with Amber, my wife, uh, her first time seeing it, my third, something like that. And seeing it right before Far From Home helped draw some clear threads between the two. But even without that, it was a ton of fun. The whole cast is great. Uh, I loved Mysterio. I loved the various twists with both Mysterio and the uh, post, mid, and post-credit. Twists,
0: which oh, yeah, I want to get us. into those post credit scenes. I got I got feelings. I got thoughts and oh. feelings.
1: <laughs> oh, same here. We will yeah. definitely get to that. Uh, <laughs> the Spidey movies are proving to be for me a very interesting one of the MCU sub franchises. Mm-hmm. In the same way the cap movies are high octane action with heart and social underpinnings. The Thor movies were uh, fantasy family stories. The Iron Man movies were sci-fi with a flawed hero. The Spidey movies are dealing with the repercussions on the little people from all these Big things going on, mm-hmm. while also being an absolute friggin' delight.
0: Yeah, de- no, delight is definitely the right word. You know, this this uh, Far From Home definitely served the role that Ant-Man and the Wasp did last year, where it played the palate cleanser to the the big, heavy, dense. Uh, event movie that it you know preceded it um even just the way they treat the 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 snap or the blip as i guess we're now calling it you know uh, finding the humor in that with people you know kind of getting dusted and then coming back and getting hit in the face with dodgeballs and like the age discrepancies and everything <laughs> it was it was very much a like that that was their very much like don't think about it. It's it's comics in movie form. Just just go with it, <laughs> type thing. Totally, uh, and all the kids were
1: the, young actors. I mean, granted, I mean Tom Holland and Zendaya aren't kids; they're in their early twenties. Mm-hmm. But those young actors all did such a good job, and were all so friggin'
0: funny. Jacob Batalon is a treasure, and I look forward to seeing him in other things.
1: Yes. Um, The actress who – I got a real kick out of the actress who played Betty Brandt. I thought (laughs) she was – she was a friggin' oh. The the whole subplot about
0: them falling in love on the plane and then being in this intense relationship and then very maturely uncoupling on the plane right back.
1: (laughs) Oh. No, they, it was... And the teachers. Oh, oh, God. The, Martin Starr. Martin Star, and J.B. Smooth were just perfect. I will never be able to now watch a, a science fiction movie without initially going, well, it's witches. It's clearly <laughs> witches.
0: We were on a science trip and did no science.
1: <laughs> One thing that I thought was really interesting that was pointed out on another podcast that I listened to. Um, mm. We hate movies that uh, Rick and I talked about when we were, when we, Jeff and Rick were on, uh, they, do, they're a bad movie po- podcast. And last week they did the amazing Spider-Man. Mm. And the one interesting point they made was that the, Toby Maguire Spider-Man movies mm-hmm. were very much Peter as photographer. He was a bright guy, but they didn't spend a lot of time with Peter the scientist. It was a little bit in the second movie since he was working with Doc Ock, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as central to the character. And Far From Home slash Homecoming is very much Peter the science kid. Yeah. But doesn't do much with or anything really with the photography, and the one of the few things they said that uh, Amazing Spider-Man did pretty close to right was it did blend the two angles of Peter Parker into one sort of cohesive version,
0: mm-hmm. which it's, you know, mm. yeah, I, I, it's hard. It's hard to do. I think in this iteration. Peter the photographer when so much of his character is sort of wrapped up in being you know this son figure to Tony Stark
1: absolutely I do wish that somewhere along the way they had mentioned Uncle Ben we're two movies in and I understand completely why they're not but there are moments where it almost feels forced to not say Uncle Ben.
0: It's it's the stubborn commitment to not going down a well-tread road. I mean, we did get the old tiny leather suitcase with his initials on it.
1: That is true. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want the, the, the pearls falling in the alley.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> or whatever the, the Uncle pearls.
0: Ben equivalent of that is. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, him saying, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. But, it, you know, it would have been nice if May at some point just said your Uncle Ben would be so proud mm-hmm. and just that was the line and it just sort of was there because there's you get to a point where it becomes more noticeable in its absence than in its presence.
0: Yeah, I, I hear that. Uh, you know, again, I think that's a Tony Stark thing, though. Yes, Tony Stark is-, is his Uncle Ben.
1: That is true. And it is a minor, minor quibble.
0: Yeah. But um, speaking of Aunt May, you know, good for her. You know, she's out there. She's having her fun with uh, with Happy <laughs> oh, Hogan, wherever Hogan. it may lead. <laughs> oh, Happy.
1: <laughs> you know, who would have thought that John Favreau working himself into Iron Man in a small role as a... Pfft, minor Iron Man character. I mean, I Happy was a big character at the beginning of Iron Man's tenure in the comics, but mm-hmm. he he died back in Civil War and nobody really looked back and for years he was out of the picture because, you know, Rhodey was around and Tony had much more interesting supporting characters than the sort of generic character that was Happy Hogan. Who would have thought that, you know, John Favreau throwing himself into that little bit would now turn him into Spider-Man's supporting character.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, no, I, I, I love it. Um...
1: Um, I, I want to give credit to Jake Gyllenhaal, who did a great job as Quentin Beck. He,
0: his Mysterio was amazing. I loved the take on it. You know, you didn't have to, you know, I, I think, again, we get into sort of the looming specter of Tony Stark. Obviously, because, you know, he turns out to be not a, you know, special effects person, but, uh, you know, a, a, an ex-Stark employee with a grudge. But I think it works. I like the fact that he was working with a team of, you know, normal people who just were... I mean, okay, so you can make the argument that this is kind of a retread of the Vulture stuff, because, again, it was like a team of, of blue-collar... Well, I guess white-collar people in this instance... You know, but kind of working together to kind of screw over the system in their favor um, and asking themselves, why not evil? But uh, <laughs> I, I yeah, just once the illusion started to fade in the bar and they were all just like cheering him on and he was like pointing out their names and you get those flashbacks. Like I, I this is a very continuity heavy franchise, but they still found a way to dance between the raindrops and I enjoyed that
1: they took the best aspects of the vulture and the best aspects of justin hammer and sort of mashed them up into this charismatic leader of disgruntled men and that is not a slight to either sam rockwell or michael keaton who were both great
0: and are two of my favorite villains of the entire mcu People do Absolutely. not give Justin Hammer enough credit because they don't like the Iron Man sequels. But...
1: but oh, he was he he was great in those movies. But I think they took they looked at those two characters, both of who worked so well, and then took bits and pieces of both of them and sort of pushed them together into Gyllenhaal. Just Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal. just being <laughs> charming as hell and sinister in a very understandable way the the fact that he took no delight in having to kill children
0: mm-hmm.
1: and granted i mean he had no qualms about it either but but the it was his he, <laughs> right very lawful evil very you know trying to create his own system mm-hmm. and you know doing what he needed to do Regardless of the ethics of it.
0: You know, it's funny. We used to talk about the MCU's villain problem of, like, not compelling enough villains. And I really feel like, especially in the last two years, that ship has righted itself tremendously.
1: Oh, definitely. Between Beck.
0: Thanos, obviously.
1: Killmonger, who's sort
0: of the, the, the... New gold standard, I would say.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, Definitely. Uh, the Ghost mm-hmm. and Bill Foster in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, Vulture, Vulture. Oh, Vulture. Uh, the. Oh, God. I'm trying to remember uh, Jude Law. What was the name of his? Oh, Yan Rock. Yan Rock. Thank you. I mean, he's not a great example. He's still a little flat, but is still much less flat than those early villains and when you think about Talos and the Skrulls who were billed as the villains and they did the twist there they're just great characters Mm -hmm. and I also want to shout out uh, Zendaya's MJ is just so fun Amber, when we were watching Homecoming, I I think she would have been happy if there had been a movie of MJ just snarking for two hours
0: and, and back in the day when they did those Marvel one shots, you know, you probably could get something like that. Or I don't know, uh, Ned's Incredi- Ned's Excellent Adventure or something like that.
1: <laughs> that would be a good place to flesh out the hints about Flash Thompson's shitty home life.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, that, they, they, they slipped that in there a little bit. Yeah,
1: that, you know, you do the one shot that picks up right from far from home and doesn't follow peter but follows flash home and you see that you know his parents aren't there they don't care and his room is you know spider-man pictures and you understand why he thinks having a friendly neighborhood spider-man who cares about the little guy and cares about the people around him is so important to flash
0: That also, it would be a good post-credit scene if they didn't have, you know, actual continuity business to attend to. Right. And these were probably
1: the two most important post-credit scenes we've gotten the most impactful on the Uber arc. Mm-hmm. in a while. I mean some of them were great. I loved the uh the White Wolf at the end of Black Panther. Yeah. That one's great. The um the snap at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp. But both of those you could have gotten implied or worked in somewhere else. The only other one that I can think of that was as big and as Punch you in the gut was Nick Fury, Maria Hill, and the beeper at mm-hmm. the end of Infinity War. Mm-hmm. That's a major thing. T'Challa's speech at the UN was that. I'm trying to remember if that's post credit or was if mid. that
0: it was that, mid. mid. Right, that White was Wolf mid-credit. was, was I,
1: post. I couldn't remember if the movie ended with the speech at the UN and the post credit scene was Shuri, or the mid credit scene was Shuri getting set up in the the building or if it was Shuri getting set up in the the new Wakandan outreach thing was the end of the movie and the speech was the mid-credit yeah I was just having a moment where I couldn't remember because that's a gr- I mean that speech is like great it's important for the movie but it's not a big MCU arc thing yeah but the both of these scenes set up major status quo changes for the mcu and i think it's time that we now start with the mid-credit scene and we'll we'll move on from there
0: yeah um I forget if we said this at the beginning. I probably said it in the intro, but I'm just going to say it again. Spoilers. That's all. Just, you know, picture River Song putting her finger to her lips. (laughs) If if that's your fandom. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so mid-credits, we finally, speaking of of road they haven't trodden in the the Spider-Man movies, finally got J. Jonah Jameson. Not only did we get J. Jonah Jameson, but we got the one... True J. Jonah Jameson, J. K. Simmons. Mustache, there was, bald head.
1: There was no other way to do it. Yeah. There are very few performances that have ever so perfectly summed up a character. And his Jonah was. Just perfect. I mean, he's voiced the character in a ton of places. Mm-hmm. It's the... Just, he was so perfect. And I like that he's very... modern media for this. He's not the grizzled old newspaper guy. Because so much of what this movie was about is the the thin line between fiction and reality, and making him this, or implying that the Daily Bugle is this sort of InfoWars-esque right-wing or extreme media outlet. I I kind of wish he was extreme left, because that strikes me as very Jonah, but whatever. Um, I don't know. I I
0: see him as the, the Alex Jones route. I mean, he basically is that for you know, specifically for Spider-Man. You
1: that know, when it is... comes
0: to other things, he seems to find his journalistic druthers, but with Spider-Man, it's just, you know, threats and menaces and get me pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> lizard
1: people, run in the government. <laughs> Spider yeah. people, run in the government.
0: Uh, yeah. Stamford was a false flag. Oh, well, yeah, is... all right, that's the farthest I'm going down that alley. Um, yeah. But, uh, again, yeah, so he if... outs Spidey based on some doctor yeah. video, which, you know, hello Cur- you know, recent stories about Facebook, uh you know, uh, created by be- uh, Mysterio's team. That uh Spidey killed uh Mysterio and then outed himself as uh Peter Parker. So
1: And I'm I mean, I know we're gonna this is gonna be followed up on and soon, but who boy, that's that's some hard stuff. And I can't see the MCU doing, a uh, Peter goes to a newly appeared Reed Richards and Dr. Strange and they do something to make people forget.
0: Or, or, or Spider-Man one more day, but it Ugh. has the home word home in it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> There's no place like home. I, I don't know. I don't know if you keep going down that naming convention route from the third one.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know where they're gonna, <laughs> how they do that. But, but there's definitely it, gonna be a third one. <laughs> oh yeah. But it's gonna be real interesting because that completely throws the status quo on its head, and I'd be really curious to see if we get a sort of war of people who support spider-man and think that the video is a crock and the people who think it's real and it becomes this whole story about our heroes and feet of clay and what is truth i mean that's something they've been they built up a lot in this movie
0: yes they did
1: and moving to the the post-credit scene
0: can I tell you how happy I was with this post-credits scene? Like oh. like here's you can feel however I, I however you want to feel about Captain Marvel. Ben Mendelsohn's Talos was one of the one of the highlights of that movie and I was so happy to see that there is still a place for him going forward as I don't know what what the hell is ha- what is even the next movie? Don't know. We can we can discuss that in a minute, but like just the fact that he was there, the fact that he had a job, the fact that Nick Fury is apparently out there doing space stuff with his friend Carol, I think that was the impression that I got. They didn't, they, you know, they didn't show her or anything, but I don't. It just yes, yes, please.
1: <laughs> oh, totally. Talos was one of my It fa- was one of my favorite parts of that movie too. Again, Amber and I have been watching. The MCU movies she hasn't seen yet, which are most of the past couple of years, as she doesn't often go out to the movies, which, you know, to all their own, I love going to the movies, that's why I have my AMC A-list. But we watched Captain Marvel the week before we watched Homecoming, and seeing it again, I was like, oh, Ben Mendelsohn, you are just freaking wonderful in that role.
0: It it takes it it just it takes an, a certain kind of actor to be able to somehow be slimy and charming at the same time and then kind of pull it toward charming in the end. It takes a British character actor, let's be honest.
1: <laughs> mm. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward he's going to be the lead in the TV adaptation of the most recent Stephen King novel, The Outsider, which I'm 80 pages from the end of now and am dying to get to the end of, not in a bad way, but you know, dying in the, I need to know how this ends, I'm excited way. And I, that's made me look more forward to that adaptation because he's, Krennic and Talos were both just
0: so good absolutely um, did you get okay so when you see fury and he's sort of not I mean you know on the quote-unquote beach talking to Talos did you get did, was there a piece of you that like were called like watching agents of shield when it first came out because you thought it would be relevant and you were like oh Tahiti it's a magical place that is exactly what I said when I saw that
1: screen it's like huh it's a magical place
0: you know that at the end of office space yeah yeah (laughs) and they said no salt no salt in the margarita but um yeah and then they just pull back and it's a simulation and he's he's definitely in space right like fury's in space he's happy there i mean good for him
1: (laughs) i i think he is in space i think we are seeing the setup of something to the effect of sword they probably won't call it S.W.O.R.D. Ooh, but they, can, no, but they but, can now. They can do that. Mm, that is true. Yeah, I think we're furious setting up space cops. Yay! And, and an, ali- an allegiance <laughs> between the Skrulls and humanity in a war against the Kree would not be something I'd be surprised to see. I would be curious if between Captain Marvel and Guardians of the Galaxy, Mm -hmm. and apparently some of the stuff that's happened on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I gave up on before the Kree became a huge thing
0: in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I I gave up before the Inhumans became a big thing.
1: (laughs) But I think we could be seeing a galactic alliance against a conquering kree horde hmm. being built towards not in the the singular thanos as monolithic threat with this sort of army of minions behind him but more of a galactic storm yes <laughs> you've taken your first step into a wider world you get the kree you kree on one side you have the The remnants of the Skrulls, the remnants of the Xandarians, because Thanos wiped out most of them. Yep. and, And humanity having to band together to stop the Kree, who have now taken the opportunity that all of the other space powers have been weakened by things like Thanos to spread and conquer.
0: I can see that.
1: It would be interesting I wonder if we're gonna go with something so cosmic right after the big Thanos arc but at the same time it I don't know if you want it where else you'd go you'd go multiverse you'd go magical threats or this sort of more militaristic thing versus the more whatever Thanos thing would have been was. I mean, hes he wasn't militaristic, he was eco-terrorist? <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay. Intergalactic eco-terrorist? <laughs> Very much more in line with Ra's Ghoul, Ghul, who that's, was always his shtick back in the
0: day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, there's going to be a Guardians 3. Yes. There might be a Captain Marvel 2. It feels like they're setting that up. So we're not hope. we're not done playing around in space by by any stretch. I wouldn't be
1: surprised if we see a Nova movie with a human getting a Nova Nova power as they're trying to rebuild the Nova core.
0: That could be something. Um... You,
1: you get either Rich or Sam or Rich and Sam.
0: And. Who else do we want to see in a novacore movie? Who am I missing? Hornberger! <laughs> yes!
1: Yes! We totally do. <laughs> oh, Scott adds it. Agent adds it. He's delightful. I, I, mean, uh, I, I, I was thinking Cosmo? <laughs> well, I think
0: he's, I think
1: he's still Cosmo. around. Yeah, Cosmo's oh, cool. still up on... Oh, though, Nowhere got pretty thoroughly trashed by Thanos, too. Yeah. I would like to see the Shi'ar. Now, the shi- again, now, that everything- if, Again,
0: if we're, if we're going the, the, the space war route and fighting the Kree, you, you can introduce this... You can do that now. You yeah, know what I mean? I, like, like, regardless of whether they have a plan to introduce the X-Men of the Fantastic Four, there are elements from those books that you're free to play with. Treat
1: the Shi'ar as the galactic isolationists who Carol has to go and get them to break their neutrality to help stop the spread of the Kree. Yeah. So, a- anything like that. Do you can do the Brood now? Oh. The Brood would be great, but it, it you do a movie Brood and you start getting real close to
0: Xenomorphs. That is true. <laughs>
1: That one might be a little dicey, but I mean, the the world is very open now, and I would love to see the FF in in some way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But again, we'll be talking about. We need to talk about what we will be seeing for the future of the MCU now that Phase Three is officially over and we are moving into. A strange new world with phase four.
0: And it, and it's strange because I feel like I don't have a handle on it. No. You know, there's no roadmap this time. There's no here are all the movies we're doing and this is when they're coming out. You know, Marvel pretty much stuck to its guns on, on that first roadmap and then DC did theirs and um you know, two or three movies came out. Um <laughs> I think
1: DC has learned that they're
0: better off
1: doing standalone movies and not focusing on the big roadmap.
0: Yeah.
1: A shared universe with little hints of other things going on, but doing what the MCU did is not going to work for them because they didn't have the, the bench built. They tried to do the shared universe too quickly. Yeah. I mean It was interesting today. There was... Uh, something dropped where a comment from, I believe it was the director of the upcoming Joker movie saying that it's not going to be anything like the comics. And so people are going to hate it. And that is probably true, but we'll we'll see. I'm still up in the air on how I feel about that movie just because it seems so unremittingly dark and we've had that from the DCU and haven't they learned that Wonder Woman that had a sense of hope and Aquaman that had a sense of awe and Captain Marvel or Shazam Shazam which had a sense of fun works better than the unremitting dark
0: I mean hell I'm more excited for Wonder Woman 2 and all we have is that ridiculous. Re- ridiculous kaleidoscopic poster that uh, has all the colors on it.
1: Hey, I'm more excited for The Batman or whatever they're calling it. The the Batman movie that's going to have Robert Pattinson.
0: I would like them to change that to (laughs) (laughs) A-Batman. This is A-Batman. He is one of many. There are many. But yeah, I mean, I think... We're gonna
1: see Captain Marvel two. We're gonna see Black Panther two. Guardians three. They've talked about Doctor Strange two, but that one seems to get talked of less and less each time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Black Widow. Yeah,
0: they, they, I mean that's that's filming. Like that's actually happening.
1: Right. That one's that that'll be soon enough. Guardians 3 is still a ways away because uh, J- James Gunn needs to finish Suicide Squad before he does that. but yes,
0: just get that over with. <laughs> hey,
1: James Gunn directing that, that could be great.
0: Oh, yeah, no, no, I know, it could be. It's, it, 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 it's just I'm more interested in the other thing. <laughs> That's true. I, I have to also say I
1: am kind of curious about the Birds of Prey. i um, I'm hoping. I've got hope in my heart for a Birds of Prey movie.
0: I I mean, everything I've read about that sounds like it's going to be good or at least better than the first Suicide Squad.
1: Yes. (sighs) True. I think we're just going to have to sit back and let Marvel surprise us with the announcement of White Tiger. Or whatever the surprise character that they choose to base a movie around. Oh, and the Eternals and Shang-Chi, too. Yeah, Those I was are... going to
0: say, that, that, that surprise kind of already... Uh... Yeah,
1: we're, we'll see where we go with any and all, all of this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: WNQA! So we are now just about a week out from the drop of the second half of the third season of Young Justice on the DC Universe streaming service. And so I thought this would be a good time for me and Dan to muse on our favorite animated series based on comic books. Because Young Justice is definitely one of my tops. Young Justice is one of the brain children? I don't know if I've ever used that particular phrase. But... It is a brainchild of Greg Wiseman, who when you look at his career, the guy has hit a trifecta of three amazing animated series as executive producer with Young Justice, the spectacular Spider-Man and Gargoyles. Young Justice is such a character piece. And with this overarching plot that has been slowly eked out over these seasons that every little thing builds this world and yet you get each episode standing pretty well on its own and featuring such great character work. I'm really hoping that we get some mass release of this third season once it's done, whether it's on Blu-ray or Cartoon Network airs it after it's done in a series of one hour blocks or something because people need to see this, especially the people who love those first two seasons and can't afford the streaming service because It's phenomenal, especially for fans of the new gods, because we're getting serious new gods stuff this season.
0: How deep are we talking?
1: Well, we've got Glorious Godfrey or G. Gordon Godfrey (laughs) has been a regular for most of the series as the sleazy media guy. But this time, uh, Granny Goodness is around uh, the Forager. The oh, okay. Bug mm-hmm. is one of the team. Uh, he joined the team early on in the third season. Uh, we've seen a bunch of the new gods in little appearances. And the f- the female Furies just popped up. We just saw Barda for the first time. Nice, And she's still with Granny. <laughs> So I'm assuming that we'll hopefully see Scott before the rest of the season is out.
0: Now, who is – who's voicing Granny this time around? It's not still Ed Asner, right? Wait, did, no, he, did no. he die? Ed, no, no. no, He's still Ed alive, Ed, right? Yeah. He's still alive. It. They're
1: not going the 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 dame route with a, a man voicing her. Mm-hmm. Um, Barda is Grey Griffin slash Grey Deleal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deborah Strong is voicing Granny Uh, she's a character actress if you saw her you would recognize her from any number of movies and TV series and she did voice Aunt May in the Greg Weisman Spectacular Spider-Man
0: now I'm looking things up (laughs) she oh wow
1: yeah she you know a big '90s TV actress: an episode of The X Files, an episode of Grace Under Fire, an episode of Deep Space Nine, Knots Landing, L.A. Law, Profiler, and soaps, a lot of soaps. But yeah, now, no, how, how,
0: did, how does Young Justice hold up? You know, these these new episodes that have been on the streaming service to the first two seasons.
1: They hold right up. They are, they actually are a bit darker. They're able to pull off some stuff that I doubt Cartoon Network would have let them get away with. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, the the central, not threat but theme of these this third season is dealing with human trafficking. Hmm specifically meta-teen trafficking. That there's begun this sort of metahuman arms race, and metahuman teens are being kidnapped. And it turns out that it's Apocalypse who are weaponizing these teens and using them to conquer and attack worlds... And thus it doesn't get back to them because it's not parademons, it's not obviously mm-hmm. alien. It's obviously apocalypse. It's humans. So they've made an alliance with the light, the villains from the first two seasons, uh, specifically Vandal Savage, Lex Luthor, Rachel Ghoul, Queen Bee, and a few other sort of mastermindy type villains. There's a great episode that is the history of Vandal Savage, and how he became an ally of Dark Side. Uh, it's a journal of his times being read by Scandal, his daughter. Yeah, it's really, really solid. The fact they got nearly all of the original voice actors back after that gap, mm-hmm. the only ones who are missing are Tim Curry who after his stroke I don't think is doing a ton of voice work anymore Right. Um, they lost the original Beast Boy but there's a couple of years time jump so they've got Greg Sipes doing Beast Boy but okay. sounding much more mature than he sounds on either of the Teen Titans versions
0: mm-hmm.
1: and particularly fun is that Cyborg is not the traditional cyborg of teen titans uh the cyborg here is Zeno robinson who you you'd know his voice he's done a ton of voice work but instead of that oh come on here i go again going down an imdb hole everybody sorry <laughs> Because uh, I am forgetting a name that I would remember if I wasn't thinking too hard about it. Uh, Carrie Payton, yes, who yes. is the cyborg of Teen Titans, voices Silas Stone. Oh, okay. So I thought that was a nice little touch, being able to keep that character, that actor who is so associated with that character, still associated to cyborg. Without having him play the role again in a very as a very different take on cyborg, he's a much more tortured teen, and they went with the Jeff Johns bonded with uh, apocalyptic technology cyborg as opposed to the just rebuilt cyborg, mm-hmm. and of course. Uh, Harry Payton is also a little busy as he is Black Lightning and uh, Aqua Lad, now Aquaman. counter on Young Justice.
0: Ah.
1: So also having him do Cyborg would be probably asking a whole lot as Cyborg is a fairly major character in this season. The the new characters they added that are fixtures are cyborg uh, forager geoforce halo so a couple of the original outsiders as this season is subtitled outsiders Uh, now they've thrown in terra and i'm kind of curious to see if we get any more of the expected Judas contract stuff I mean she is working f- there's a bit of it there but they seem to not be going the Beast Boy Terra thing and instead the the break your heart is not going to be about Beast Boy losing his first crush but uh, Geoforce Brion losing the sister that he spent all this time trying to find hmm which I think would be a lot more resonant since the Beast Boy Terra thing has always been a little... Mm.
0: Not, as, not as well as the uh, Terra Deathstroke thing. Oh,
1: oh God, God, no. <laughs> no, that is way creepier. But it, it was always... Beast Boy was always so sort of pathetic in that he was so taken in by Terra who just never gave a crap about him. Mm -hmm. It is one of the things that the Teen Titans cartoon did a little bit better in their Judas contract that Terra very much did care about Beast Boy and they removed the creepy Deathstroke stuff. They made it much more of a father-daughter thing than a creepy, creepy thing. But yes, Young Justice the third season has helped cement it as one of my top animated comic book related series of all time.
0: Awesome. Um, I am, I'm going to cheat for my first just bring out the box just because I feel you know what I mean? Like I've got, I've got some of the usual players, uh, in my, in my set, but there's one here that, it's it's not a favorite because it doesn't exist, but I'm trying to seek the secret style will it into the universe by speaking its name. Um, so a couple of years ago, there was there were reports that there were going to be there was going to be an animated uh, feature version of uh, the Image comic series Chew, which uh, is is really one of my favorite comic series ever. Uh, if you're not familiar, it's about an FDA uh, agent named Tony Chu who uh, is able to absorb the memories of the food or, or the things that he eats. And it, he exists in this world where chicken is outlawed and people have strange food-based abilities. And it it's just, you know... This, it's funny, but it can also be like tragic at times. Uh, co-created by John Layman and uh, Rob Guillory, uh, and so it, I think there was talk originally of making doing like a Showtime series, and then that got axed. And then they were like, "Well, let's do, go the animated route," which is really perfect because if you look at the series, uh, you know uh, Guillory's got a very uh, animated style uh, to his art. So, I mean, to see a a kind of a cartoon version of that would be lovely. Uh, But, you know, there were already, like, actors attached to the project. They were talking about Steven Yun from The Walking Dead as Tony Chu, which, I mean, that's ah, spot on, perfect. And then uh, Felicia Day as the uh, female lead, Amelia Mintz, and David Tennant as uh, Mason Savoy, whom I imagine, if this is still a thing that's happening you are not going to be able to get him right now between uh, Good Omens and DuckTales and, and everything else.
1: He loves doing animation, though. He's done... He won an Emmy for his guest spot on uh, Clone Wars.
0: Oh, for, wow. Okay. I did not know that.
1: Yeah, um, best guest star in an animated series. He was uh, the Jedi's... Uh, a droid who worked with the Jedi who helped Padawans build their first lightsabers. Hmm. And he just... uh, I don't know if he's on the second season of TBS's Final Space. Uh, He was the main villain of the first season and seemed to die at the end of that season. Mm -hmm. But I've got all the new episodes on my DVR and just haven't gotten around to it. But I feel like he loves doing animation. And so if they got this going, i wager... He's not doing the uh, any of the How to Train Your Dragon stuff anymore, so he does have that little bit of <laughs> time left.
0: That is true. Oh, um, DuckTales is so great, though. Oh, DuckTales is so good. Um, yeah, total aside. But uh, one other thing that I think would make a Chew adaptation work better in animation than it would in live action is the fact that one of the series' major characters probably... Uh, not the star, but definitely the person who draws... F- person is not the right word. The, the <laughs> character who, who draws focus every time he is on panel is Poyo. Now, Poyo is a cyborg chicken rooster... Uh, cyborg chicken... No. Psycho cyborg rooster. <laughs> that uh, Luchador. Yeah, luch- yes. Luchador cyborg rooster uh, that is really good at killing people... Uh, and uh, actually had like three one-shots over the course of the series where like he goes to like a fantasy land and kills everybody, and goes to uh, and saves Christmas and kills everybody, and goes to hell and the devil kicks him out because uh, at the end of the day he's one badass fucking bird. Uh, <laughs> Damn right. But I mean these are these are all reasons why uh, this show needs to exist. So I, I, don't, you know, I tried to do a little research today to see whatever came of it. And I uh, did not have a lot of luck, but uh, again, I, I hope that this, this this thing eventually becomes a, a real thing. But uh, <laughs> Matt, why don't, why don't we go back to stuff that actually exists?
1: <laughs> sure. Before I go into the ones you'd expect from me, knowing me, I am going to go with my Dark Horse choice, which is interesting because it's not at all based on a comic from Dark Horse, but is instead based on a comic from Image. More uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, the Max. Ooh, nice. The Max, for those of you who are youngins or who just weren't watching a lot of late night MTV back in the
0: 90s. In which case, man, you were missing the brothers Grunt and the Head, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Aeon Flux.
0: Yeah, yes, also that.
1: <laughs> uh, but the Max is based on an image, one of the early Image comics uh, from Sam Keith. It's not; he was not one of the founders, but he was sort of the first of the second generation of image creators. Came in right after that initial group. But the Max was like nothing else that was coming from Image. It was seriously trippy about a homeless guy who also existed in this sort of dreamscape of the social worker who was helping him where on Earth she was his caseworker but in the... The Outback, this sort of Australian Outback-influenced Dreamtime was the Jungle Queen, and there were weird little monsters called Iz, and the villain was this tall guy in... Tall, bald guy with a crazy cloak, Old Mr. Gone, who was just weird. And the whole show was a real head trip and was like nothing else I had ever seen before, ever watched before. And it got me to read the comic and the comic was even trippier. But what was cool was that you got at least one bit on the show that Sam Keith never got around to doing in the comic and stuff in the comic that was not adapted into the show. So reading them and watch – reading the comics and watching the show gave you this sort of cohesive experience because so much of it was direct adaptation, like word for word from the comic that they complemented each other in a really interesting way.
0: is definitely, it was like nothing else that was coming out at the time from, from image or I mean, really on, I mean, MTV was doing some interesting animation things, but still uh, that, that was definitely, you know, I wouldn't put that on this, the max on the same plane as say Beavis and Butthead, you know, that that's definitely apples and uh, 1992 Buick with Sabres. <laughs> yes,
1: very true. Not a lot of the voice yeah. actors did a ton of other stuff that you'd recognize. I mean, I looked them up and I wasn't seeing a ton of credits, but it had a really interesting vibe and was animated. It's more than motion comic, but less than your standard animated series.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's... How, yeah.
1: The, the one... One of the, the kind of background voice actors... It had not a ton of voice voices. It had the four principals... And a bunch of additional voice actors. But one of them has gone on to do a lot... One of those background people who... I would have to... I do not remember digging deep enough to see if he had done animation on the max, I don't think he did, but he's worked with Brad bird on a, all of his stuff. So he was an Adam anim, did animation for iron giant and incredibles and things like that. Hmm. So yeah, that was interesting, but it's, it's a fascinating show And there. Well, it's not streaming anywhere. As far as I could tell, there is a complete, uh, uh, DVD. It's not on Blu-ray. A complete DVD collection. So yes, that's the Max. Awesome. Uh,
0: Okay, so uh, before uh, Matt gives his Batman pick, because you know he has one, (laughs) uh, I'm going to go with mine, and it's not the one you're thinking. (laughs) Okay. No, uh, I was a big fan of Batman the Brave and the Bold, which aired, like, the late... I want to say it's like the late 2000s. Um, it is... It is the anti-Batman the Animated Series, and I mean that as a compliment, because they are both very good. But, like, when my, when my son was when, was, like, two or three we would mainline that stuff together. That was his introduction to Batman, to the wider DC universe. And what a, what a primer because, you know, it was like the name implies it's Batman teaming up every week with different heroes from throughout the DC universe. And, you know, it doesn't, it, it takes a while before you get to the Trinity before you see Superman or Wonder Woman. But you know, it's it's Green Arrow and it's Aquaman and it's the best Aquaman.
1: He, th- there is only one word to describe both that series and that Aquaman, and that one word is
0: outrageous. outrageous! Yeah, uh, John DiMaggio's Aquaman uh, is that's my that's what I think about when I think about Aquaman. Uh, apologies to to Jason Momoa, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's my King of Atlantis. Um, oh. Beetle.
1: The, the, don't tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle, is a major recurring character yeah, um, on that.
0: Ryan Choi's uh, Adam, uh also uh one of the major players. And in fact, him and Aquaman have this like cr- crazy like buddy, not buddy. Like they butt head. Well, they're paired up a lot, but they butt heads because one is is you know this very nerdy science guy, and the other is just like, I like to laugh and punch people <laughs> and not really think about it.
1: The um, There's a few episodes. He shows up... Uh, it, it's not quite half a dozen times, but a little under that, I'd say, of Arlie Emery, the Ermy Arlie Ermy, excuse me, I always get his name wrong the first time I say it. Uh, the legendary drill instructor from Full Metal Jacket as wildcat
0: mm-hmm. who
1: is just this great old you know grizzled boxer you know who's who's training the outsiders and uh paul rubens as batmite is one of the highlights of that series
0: yep yep uh the series went out with the batmite episode um i'm it really it didn't you know, again, I, I mentioned the Trinity earlier. Also, like, the regular Batman Rogue Gallery, you don't really see for a while. They're, they're really just trying to teach you about some of the more obscure parts of, of the DC universe uh, first. So, for example, you get Bowana Beast. Yep. Yeah. Fire. Uh, fire oh, and the... Ice. Oh, yeah, yeah they, they do the JLI. They do the JLI, and it is note-perfect down to the last wah-ha-ha. The... I'm pretty sure it was
1: Demateus who was or Dematis. that's how his name is pronounced I'm screwing up all the names tonight. Dematis who wrote that JLI episode.
0: Yeah, and they had all they had the blue and the gold, although it was Jamie and not and not Ted, but you know, Booster is is fantastic. You've got Billy West as Skeets. You know there, they do Martian Manhunter with his chacos.
1: <laughs> there is one; they don't do a lot of tug at your heartstrings episodes. It's a a very fun series, but there is one where Booster goes back in time to have one last adventure with Ted, and he screws up the timeline. But it it, it gets you because it's just so clear how much Booster loved his bed his buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the the Trinity don't show up until the third season because of like, there was weird rights stuff going on. And the Joker shows up about halfway through the first season as a, you know, a team up guest star, but most of the other major bat rogues only appear in the little teasers at the beginning of the episodes. You don't get a lot of, Episodes centered around those Bat Rogues.
0: now you get a lot of Black Manta, Gorilla Grodd, um, Gentleman Ghost. Uh, Clock King shows up a few times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they did a musical episode, oh. which is is probably the highlight of the entire series. Uh, the villain is the Music Meister, uh, played by Neil Patrick Harris, uh, NPH, and he basically just kind of gets all the characters from the show under his thrall except for Black Canary um, and so you've just got like chorus lines of DC villains doing high kicks and things of that nature um, it's it, it, it's it's just it's charming and it's delightful and it's bright and it's colorful and it's it's you know a, a great way to sort of introduce your kids to superheroes without having to worry about the dark stuff
1: and even at its darkest, it puts forth a positive message about justice and about doing the right thing because the, the darkest episode of the series hands down is a Paul Dini episode where Batman f- or there's very, very little Bruce Wayne in the series. I think you see him unmasked twice once when he's a little kid in a in their, their Christmas episode. Oh yeah. And then once at the end of an, the episode where the specter and the phantom stranger are observing him as he finally finds his parents killer. And it's, it's about Joe chill and Batman hunting down Joe chill and the specter is confident that Batman will choose vengeance and the Phantom Stranger is confident that he will choose justice. And they set this sort of cosmic uh, Job thing around Batman. Not Job Bluth, Job from the Bible. Um, And in the end... It's an illusion, Robin. (laughs) In the end, Batman chooses justice. He chooses not to revenge himself on Joe Chill. Uh, the fun thing about that, the very fun thing, is that uh, Phantom Stranger and Spectre are respectively Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. And the flashbacks in that episode to a young, younger Thomas and Martha Wayne are Adam West and Julie Newmar as Thomas and Martha. So it has a ton of great guest voices and pays respects to all of the Batman history that is entailed in any Batman project moving forward.
0: Yeah, it is, it is fantastic. What's your, what's your next pick, Matt? My next pick,
1: we, we got two more left on this and they are two that are going to be very expected from me. But I'm saving the best for last. So my next one is close to that. Uh, my next choice is Justice League Unlimited.
0: Now, real, real quick, I just want to jump in here. Justice League Unlimited has probably my favorite guitar solo in an animated uh, theme song. <laughs> it is that, that is what I think about. Like, like I will, I will watch JLU and I will air guitar.
1: Uh, Yes, no doubt. Uh, Very specifically, just for again, for those of you who aren't as familiar, the Justice League franchise on Cartoon Network is divided in half. The first two seasons are just Justice League and the second two are Justice League Unlimited. The first two seasons are fine. There are some great episodes in there, especially in the second season. The first episode might be the weakest season of any of the Bruce Timverse animated stuff, mostly because they were really doing their best to not make everything... Well, Superman can just come in and stop the problem. So Superman gets punked a lot. He gets beaten up a whole head of a lot more than Superman should. And they don't let John Stewart, who's the Green Lantern of the series, make constructs. He's just flying and shooting energy. It's like, uh, oh, but, but big boxing glove. And the second season, they gave them a little more freedom. And then the third and fourth seasons, which is Justice League Unlimited, similar to Brave and the Bold, takes that whole tapestry of the DC universe and lets the writers just play. You get all sorts of characters who you never would have thought would show up on an animated series getting the spotlight. I mean, you still have the original seven leaguers who for this series are Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman... Flash who's Wally West, Green Lantern who's John Stewart, Martian Manhunter and Hawk Girl. But they're regularly bringing in you know some characters you'd expect like Green Arrow who is one of the first guess he's the in the first he's him and John Stewart are the first episode sort of hard traveling heroes thing. But you get point of view characters like uh, Stargirl who shows up a few times, Captain Adam, uh, Black Canary, their wildcat, who heads a couple times, is Dennis Farina, who is phenomenal. Uh, there is a great episode called Double Date, written by Gail Simone.
0: Oh, I now, remember this one. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah.
1: It's Green Arrow and Black Canary and uh, the Huntress voiced by angels, Amy Acker and the amazing Jeffrey Combs best known for any number of reanimator probably, but, uh, you could let listen to me and our third amigo, Rob go on and on about Jeffrey Combs's roles on star Trek. We've subjected Dan to that one too many times. And I always feel bad about it. Uh, (laughs) Um, Uh, But Jeffrey Combs as the question. And oh my god, the question is the highlight of this series. I will never, ever forget the lines. The tips on the ends of shoelaces are called aglets, and their purpose is sinister. (laughs) This is the conspiracy theorist question. This is not the Denny O'Neill you know, Zen question. This is a very different version of that character and the one that a lot of people remember now because of this show. Um, Mr. Terrific shows up a few times, which was awesome.
0: Yeah, he kind of takes Martian Manhunter's job for a little bit.
1: Yeah, when Martian Manhunter goes off to try to understand humanity a little better. uh, Supergirl is in there a few times. There's a great... Great two-parter where Super uh, no, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Batman are bouncing through the time stream, and the first part they wind up in the Wild West and meet El Diablo and Batlash and Jonah Hex, and also has the best Jonah Hex line ever, where uh, Hex is you know riding with Batman and he goes so time travelers and Batman sort of stumbles me like but how did you have know? led an interest in life and then he just leaves it at that <laughs> and in the second part they go into the future and you get Batman beyond and an older static and other characters from the Batman beyond universe which is so cool the final episode of that third season is really the final episode of batman beyond an episode called epilogue that wraps up a lot of the threads from batman beyond as it ended on a fine episode but it didn't end on an episode that really summed up the series it has a great booster gold episode uh the greatest story never told with Booster and Skeets and a brief appearance by the elongated man. So you get Booster and and Ralph in one episode and you're going to win me over every time. But the series, I'm talking about a lot of it as very episodic. And while it is, there is a through line. The first season very uh, the third third season of Justice League, first season of Justice League Unlimited, very much deals with Lex Luthor's rise to power as he becomes uh, pres- the, the president. Lex stuff is played with here, and Lex and Brainiac and Project Cadmus and CCH Pounder, voicing Amanda Waller, who when I she, this is one of those times where, when I first tried to think of a, an actress to play Amanda Waller. C.C.H. Pounder was the actress who I pictured. So getting her to voice Waller opposite J.K. Simmons as General Wade Eiling was f- a phenomenal choice.
0: That's that's a hell of a pairing.
1: Yeah, they're great together. Uh, Darwin Cook wrote a Suicide Squad episode. There There is nothing about... JLU that falls flat. The second season of it is uh, a se- the the main arc is a secret society of supervillains thing with Grodd founding a new uh, founding the society and ro- roping in Luthor again. Unfortunately, due to rights stuff, uh, the Batman was airing on the W or CW I can't remember what it was at that point I think still the WB so most of the Batman characters aside from Bruce himself were off the table so sadly we didn't get most of Batman's rogues but, but that, left, got... that
0: leaves you open to use so many other villains though like we would they end up working with like Killer Frost and yep. uh, the Toy Man yep.
1: Tala who is uh, Phantom Stranger's nemesis voiced by Angel again Buffy and Angel's Juliette Landau uh, Powers Booth's Grod was excellent. And the final episode of this series has one of the coolest Superman moments anywhere. Where, you know, A, you got a whole thing with Darkseid who died, quote unquote, in the first two episodes of season two of Justice League has found his way back and has led his armies to Earth. And the the whole league is fighting the the armies of Apocalypse. And it's Bruce and Clark facing down Darkseid. And A, Batman dodges the Omega Beams, which is so cool. But then Superman faces down Darkseid and has this whole speech about how everything, every day... He has to be so careful. Everything is tissue paper to him. But now that he's fighting Darkseid, he doesn't have to hold back. Mm -hmm. And it's this incredible fight. And there's a great Martian Manhunter moment that I don't want to spoil if you've never seen the series. And there are some people who have a little quibble with the very end, with how how Darkseid is defeated. I think it's a really cool moment, but I understand I can understand where some of those quibbles come from. But again, for a slightly more advanced, you know, in age, not necessarily in animation version of that, you know, Tour of the DC Universe, you cannot go wrong with JLU.
0: Yeah, and you know, the other thing that makes the finale great is is, you know, at the end once They've defeated, you know, the, the the invading hordes of apocalypse and everything. It's just, they play, you know, it's the theme music and it's the Hall of Justice and it's just the entire cast just running down a flight of stairs and you kind of get bigger and bigger superheroes as, you know, the... the the Squeedleys and the Meadleys build. I think it starts with like Hawk and Dove, whom I don't even remember actually being in the, it. There,
1: there was a Wonder Woman and Hawk and Dove fighting Ares episode very early on.
0: Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, that 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 did the DCU right. Um, now for something completely different. <laughs> uh, so there have been there's been one animated and two live action versions of this next adaptation. Um, But, you know, I think that that first animated version is, is what is always going to be the closest to my heart. Uh, Talking about the tech spoon, you know, God, the Saturday mornings Fox in the, in like the mid nineties, that was such a sweet spot when you had like, X Men, Spider Man, and the Tick—like an hour and a half of programming all together. Maybe, maybe, maybe you throw in like Tasmania at like the far <laughs> end of that. But uh, it, it, you know, that was sort of my my introduction to superhero as satire. Um, the, the Tick, obviously, big blue, ridiculous buffoon of a superhero. Uh, very much in the, in the Adam West mold, uh, takes on a a sidekick, and um, they punch all manner of sort of ridiculous trope villains, <laughs> <laughs> including guys with chairs for heads and evil midnight bombers. What bomb at midnight? Yeah, baby!
1: <laughs> and human tons with puppet with very literate puppet hands. Read a book. It is an eminently quotable series.
0: That it is, one one hundred percent. So, um, you know, I I, I I don't have I don't have a ton on this. <laughs> it's been a while since I've actually rewatched it, but it definitely spoke to the humor of a, you know, fourteen year old Dan Grote who was obsessed with like The Simpsons and thought the critic was like the height of sophisticated animation <laughs> you know it li- i think it lived at the crossroad wo- road of like the simpsons and batman the animated series if you could somehow marry those two i, I think th- i think that was the end result um i forget how many seasons that ended up running like two three at the, at the most three okay three
1: you know again putting it out there into the universe it's like come on let's get a complete animated tick Because they did the first two seasons on DVD, and each of them was missing an episode because they were worried about Marvel getting litigious. Well, you know who produced those DVDs in that show? Buena Vista. You know who owns Buena Vista? Disney. So guess what? There's no –
0: You know what else Disney owns now? Fox.
1: (laughs) And Marvel and pretty much everything else. So we got no worries anymore, folks. We need a, a Blu-ray complete tick. I, I I need it, and I need it now. <laughs> it is still... It has one of the quotes that I drop on a fairly regular basis from one of those episodes that Mar- that they were too afraid to... Put on the DVDs because they thought Marvel might sue. Uh, the Tick versus the Molemen, the quote being, "The light, the light is Bruno her develop subterranean eyes." <laughs>
0: oh, uh, wait, was was the was the one where? Uh, oh, oh my God, was it the one where the Tick became the Herald of Omnipotence? Is that one of the ones that was left off the DVD?
1: Yes, indeed, <laughs> it, it was. was too
0: close to Galactus.
1: Oh yeah, and and the Whirling Scottish Devil. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. The Omnipitous and the Mole Men; those were the two that they did not put on. Mole Men was season one, and Omnipotous was season two. Huh. Fascinating. And there was an ep- at the final episode of the series in the third season. I think they they either screwed around with its time slot or something, because I remember catching the most of the the last few episodes of that third season on like comedy central or I don't think it was adult swim that I, I saw the beginning because the, the first season of the first episode of that third season is the tick and the mustache. So that was still on at the regular time, but the last episode where the tick teaches an extension class for other superheroes oh, and yeah. Sarcastro. And there was a character who was the flying squirrel who is very Squirrel Girl.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> but I, I just, I completely m- missed that episode when it first aired. And I was like, when I saw it on uh, whatever cable channel, I was like, Wow, there's an episode of the tick I've never seen. That's impressive.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's like a gift. Yes. Um but yeah, let's 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 get to your 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 big finale choice.
1: Yeah. No one who has heard me speak on this podcast, who has ever met me in any capacity in this lifetime will be surprised. That my number one choice is Batman the Animated Series.
0: Yeah, these last two ones you guys are going to completely see coming, but that's okay. But that's okay. They're classics yeah.
1: for a reason. Exactly. Batman the Animated Series is the show that redefined daytime animation, it had higher production quality than anything else going on. The stories were dark and mature and intelligent, but never so dark that you couldn't watch it with anyone from the ages of five to 105. It is, in my opinion, the platonic ideal of what Batman is. It distills everything down into this perfect nugget of Batman. And all of the rogues and all of the supporting cast are pitch perfect. It introduced Harley Quinn and Rene Montoya it redefined Mr. Freeze and made him an interesting character instead of just being a second-rate Captain Cold. There are episodes that barely feature Batman and are some of the best episodes of the series because of how great the stories in those episodes are. And every voice actor they got is the voice that I read comics in in my head and anyone who watched that show who does not hear Kevin Conroy as Batman or the Mark Hamill as the Joker I don't know what's going on because they (laughs) take those characters and they make them their own I I have a hard time picking a favorite episode because so many of them are tremendous. Uh, Joker's favor. The first appearance of Harley Quinn is really high up there. And not even because of the first appearance of Harley Quinn, but because it is this fun little story about a guy who's having a bad day gets cut off in traffic by someone Drives up and, you know, screams at the guy. And it turns out the guy who cut him off was the Joker. And the Joker doesn't kill him, but says, you owe me a favor. And it becomes this whole thing with this schlubby guy having to deal with the Joker. Uh, Ed Begley Jr. voices the, the guy, Charlie Collins. And, oh, it's so good. And, again, it ha- doesn't have a ton of Batman in it. It's mostly Charlie and the Joker. But it's so freaking good. Uh, almost got him. Where the the Joker, the Penguin, Poison Ivy, Two-Face, and Killer Croc are playing poker and talking about the times they almost got Batman.
0: I love that episode. That, I think, is my favorite of the entire series. <laughs> that is
1: That might be mine. Oh, but there are also a couple of episodes that have such heart. There's an episode and it was aired in the first week. It was the fourth or fifth episode aired depending on fifth or sixth, actually, depending on if you want to count the weekend preview, quote unquote episodes, or if you're counting starting on the Monday, um, called It's Never Too Late, which is a mob story. It's gangsters. There's no supervillains, and it's about a, a mobster trying to s- sort of find his redemption. And it's not what you would have expected from anything. Uh, there's a, a Jonah Hex episode called Showdown, where Batman is at the beginning of the episode, some League of Shadows, which this is where the League of Shadows is the name instead of League of Assassins comes from, uh, ninjas kidnap someone from an old, a nursing home. And when Batman and Robin go out, they find a, a cassette. Yes, kids, there were cassettes um, on the Batmobile. And as they're going to chase down the League of Shadows... They put the cassette in the tape deck in the Batmobile, and Rachel Ghul, voiced amazingly by David Warner, uh, recounts this story of an attempt he made to overthrow America back in the old west, and how Jonah Hex screwed it up, and this sort of sadistic lieutenant of his, Arkady Duval, and in the end. Batman and Robin get to the airfield and Batman is waiting. Raish is waiting. And the old man they kidnapped is Duval, who's now well over a hundred years old because he'd been exposed to the Lazarus pit because he was Raish's son. And Rache, you know, he said, I knew that Arkady was too unstable to be my heir, but he is still my son. Now, Detective, let me take my boy home. And Bruce just lets him go. And Batman is a much more redemptive character in this show than he is often portrayed in the comics. He really wants the villains who are redeemable to be redeemed. He gives Two-Face more than one chance. He gives Harley more than one chance. The other great moment is at the very end of an episode called Harley's Holiday. Harley is let out of Arkham. She's been declared sane. And on her first day out, she goes shopping. And she buys a dress. And she's so excited, she heads out right after buying it and doesn't get that security tag removed from it. So the, the alarms go off. And she's like, but I bought it! And it becomes this almost Benny Hill-esque series of crazy things that winds up with the final sequence is Harley driving with her, the person she's kidnapped, and the Gotham mobster Boxy Bennett chasing her, and Harvey Bullock chasing them, and the... The kidnapping victim's father, who's a general, chasing them all in a tank. And they all collide. It becomes this wacky thing. But in the end, Harley has to go back to Arkham because she's still not entirely right. And when she gets there, Batman's waiting. And he gives her the dress. And she's kind of confused. And he just says to her, I had a bad day, too once and that is a that's the batman that i love that is a batman who yes he's grim and yes he is you know this angel of the night but he also is doing this because he doesn't want people to have got to go through the horror that he has and Batman the Animated Series gets that right every time. And that is why it's the platonic ideal of Batman. And that is why it is my favorite animated superhero show.
0: And a lot of people. There's, yeah, there's there's no denying that. Yeah,
1: we will get to some honorable mentions from across the internet. And needless to say, that one was mentioned a whole lot.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, now for my final pick, uh, also the obvious pick. Uh, knowing me, but again, you know, classics for a reason. Uh, the 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 '90s X Men, the animated series, um, you know the theme song, uh, <laughs> especially if you're the if the kind of the person who listens to X Men related podcasts week in and week out. <laughs> um, Damn right, yeah. You know, it, to say that it, you know, Batman had Batman had better animation um i think what what x-men excelled in at the time was adapting so many of the stories from you know at that point 30 years of of storytelling and also being shockingly current with with some of uh, its its other stories so for example the their season 3 they did almost a straight adaptation of, of the Phoenix saga from, you know, 101 all the way to, to, to 137. Um, you know, as, as note perfect as you can do in a, in a cast where the, the team doesn't change and you have to find a way to kind of make Gambit have been there. um. You know, but then they were also doing things like, not necessarily Age of Apocalypse, but they were doing a lot of stuff with Apocalypse, and this is around the time of the Age of Apocalypse. They were doing all kinds of time travel stuff with Bishop and, and introduced, like, Trevor Fitzroy uh, and his his stupid little butler, uh, Bantam. <laughs> oh, Bantam, sir. Yes. Uh, <laughs> How come you didn't bring back Bantam, Rosenberg? No. Uh, <laughs> you would have just killed him. You would have just killed him. <laughs> eh.
1: <laughs> Poor everybody that Matthew Rosen. Poor everybody.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but it, you know, it really captured the spirit of, of especially that 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 Jim Lee, you know, even into into you know Lobdell missieza uh, era, um, Jubilee as your point of view character, you know, that was a generation's kitty pride. Um. Which, you know, that is something that they played on, you know, in the comics at the time, too, especially around the time that uh, Ileana Rasputin died. But, you know, uh, does a mall babe eat chili fries is an age-old question <laughs> <laughs> that philosophers have struggled with.
1: Morph sort of took Changeling, who was a Z-list X character, and changed him into Morph and made him a fan favorite.
0: Yeah, made him, made him work. Um, you know, they used, they used all the cool villains. They got Sinister, uh, they got Apocalypse. You know, I, I would argue that the cartoon used Apocalypse more than the comics did up to 1995. (laughs)
1: And better than the comics have used Apocalypse in most cases.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that Apocalypse is the voice that I hear, uh, in my head and, uh. You know i it, it's it's funny reading uh, age of x-man now and apocalypse in the extracts where apocalypse is like this we, this like love guru type version of himself and not the the hulking metallic thing like i don't know how to read that character's voice because you know to me apocalypse should sound like this <laughs> <laughs> um even when he's ordering at the drive-thru Damn right. <laughs> Extra fries. Uh, you know, Cal Dodd's Wolverine is is the voice I hear in my head even after, you know, thirty seven Hugh Jackman performances. Um, you know, the show definitely fell off in the end. They changed animators to uh, as a as a cost cutting measure. They uh, gave Storm a ponytail as a cost cutting measure. They introduced fake Gambit. As a cost-cutting measure, that was. Hmm. Yeah. They
1: they did a couple of real weird episodes towards the end. Uh, they they brought in Cannonball a little too late.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jubilee's fairy tale, not uh, not one of the best. <laughs> but, you know, there are, from that last run. I mean, I still
1: liked the. Uh... The Fifth Horseman, the Fabian-Cortez Apocalypse Caliban episode, and that w- the Descent, the, their version of uh, the Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, with the or- their origin of Sinister, was a pretty solid episode.
0: Yeah. I mean, there were but, notes. It's just, it's hard when, you know, I, I, all I can think about is, come on, come on, Rogue, let's make out. Like a couple oh, of crazy ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And especially when the series was supposed to end at the end of the fourth season and they're suddenly like, well, here's – you know, you've written a finale, but here, have another bunch of episodes. Like, that's great, but we've sort of written this whole big finale already and – oops. Oh, I do love that four-part finale. Beyond Good and Evil is – is
0: kooky fun. That apocalypse story is is fantastic and you've got Bishop at Like stuck with the janitor of time who turns out to be a mortis and I had no context for that at the time
1: (laughs) yeah same here I
0: was like wow he
1: became some other dude that's interesting (laughs) that's nice so many cameos in everything but in that one too all the telepaths like oh hey there's Strife in that corner and Rachel Summer's over there
0: it's like they did the 12 but they did it good yeah, yeah, Ugh
1: uh, the, uh, the That's a great series.
0: Yeah. Now I'm just mad about the twelve. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Oh. Let's not speak of this again. <laughs> okay.
0: We won't. Uh, Matt, you actually got a whole bunch of uh, suggestions from people online. Uh, what are we? What are we? What have we left out?
1: Well, I posted this query on the Smash Fiction Fan Faction, which is the fan page for the Smash Fiction podcast, which I have done a pod people for. And for those of you who didn't read it or don't know the show, it is a debate podcast where they take two different pop culture properties or characters or concepts and pit them together in a uh, some kind of debate or contest and determine who wins uh, I, while I don't always agree with the results I respect the process <laughs> uh, if you've never listened to the show give it a shot, you will get addicted and then join the fan faction as it is the n- geekiest and the nicest place you will ever find online everyone is really Really, really nice. There is none of the unpleasant side of fandom on this group. And that's why I love going there. Um, but So thanks to everybody. I'm not going to be able to, to shout out to everyone because I got a lot of responses in a real short period of time on this one.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, But the some of the ones that we didn't mention, uh, although pretty much all the ones that we did showed up on someone's suggestion. Uh, the, the 90s Spider-Man, which, uh, is another classic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: and both the original and the er, mid-2010s version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hmm. The two different versions, both of which had, that had Rob Paulson as a voice. Hmm. um, and, I mean, TMNT is definitely a series that is in, you know, exists in my head and I respect as a series. But I've never been a huge into their fandom. So it just didn't sort of click in my head as one of the greats. But I completely see where people are coming from. Uh, Greg Weisman's Spectacular Spider-Man was mentioned. The short-lived two-season Spider-Man in High School series that is probably my favorite animated Spidey it has all the hallmarks of a Wiseman: uh, deep characters overarching plots and some Shakespeare um, <laughs> <laughs> another one that is a show that I hadn't thought about because it was a show that I only sort of watched a few episodes of was the Iron Man Armored Adventures it was uh, a series that came out right after Iron Man and dealt with a teen version of Tony Stark, Pepper Potts, and Rhodey, uh, you know, having both adventures and being, you know, teenagers. And Howard Stark has disappeared, so Tony is sort of trying to find his dad while also having to run the company and deal with Obadiah Stain. And his other friend is a character named Gene Khan who turns out to be the mandarin and they find a way to do the mandarin without making him that yellow peril character that is so uncomfortable uh Batman Beyond which is another great series gets somebody suggested which you know yeah absolutely Uh, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes easily the best version of the animated Avengers
0: if we had decided to do five picks that probably would
1: have been my fifth that that would have definitely been that is definitely in my top ten and another one that is a great show and just doesn't quite crack my top four uh, Teen Titans the not Teen Titans go again nothing wrong but this person particularly called out Teen Titans, which is a great show. And a show that grows a lot over its five seasons. The, the first season is very episodic, and the animation is much broader, and as it gets more character based, really does pick up a lot. And I it, it's a show that deserves a rewatch, especially with the upcoming Teen Titans versus Teen Titans go direct to home movie coming soon. So, yeah, I just want to thank everybody over at the smash fiction fan faction for all your input.
0: Yeah. Thanks guys. Um, any, anything else we should, uh, throw in there before we, uh, depart this, this, uh, segment. Um, one again,
1: that is just actually one more cause I'm rewatching it now. Again, doesn't crack my top four, but it, I'm kind of surprised it didn't pop up anywhere. Uh, Static Shock really holds up very well in the you know the period of time since it ended. I mean, some of the music and some of the fashions are a little dated, but the plots are real solid, and it's a tribute to Dwayne McDuffie who, mm. you know, breaks the heart every time. That, you know, went far far too young. Yeah. But yeah, that's, you know, some animation for y'all.
0: That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQNA on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQNA and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. Where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron Steve Morse from Shelf Dust and the M&T. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Uh, finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA!